course, incidentally, this is the extent to which the Paramatma is in your heart is, is kind of figurative. At any rate, Baladev Bidibhushan has explained in his Govinda Bhasha, it's for the sake of contemplation, meditation, the idea that his forehand is standing in the heart and, and in the heart region. I mean, he's in the atom, he's in the soul, he's. Otherwise, you've got a problem. Where's the heart of the tree? I guess it's. You have the heart of the redwood, I guess he's in there. He's the size of the thumb, right? But some people aren't as big as your thumb. No, no they don't have thumbs. <laughs> no, so this is for contemplation. I mean, he's everywhere. He presides over the whole world. And he's in your, you know, it's, it's a matter of uh, language. He's in your heart. It means you love him. It means, okay, you love the world. He's so kind that he's in your heart anyway. He is the world. The world's his dream. So he's in your heart. But you're not paying much attention to him and he's not paying that much attention to you because you're not interested in him. <laughs> Why should he pay much attention to you? Of course, we say, you know, he brings you to the, to the Guru so that you can get bhakti. So there it is right there. Brahmanda means the world. Brahmanda brahmite kon bhagavan jiv. The jiv is wandering in the world and he becomes fortunate. Brahmanda brahmite kon bhagavan jiv. Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Ladavij. So, Krishna brings him in touch, we can say. Krishna in the form of the Paramatma. So he himself bows out. Here, here's the Guru. Listen to him. He's got more to tell you than me. What do I know about? I'm asleep, just dreaming the world. <laughs> After all, it's mentioned right in Chaitanya Charitamrita that Brajendananda Krishna says, I'm coming to the world to do things that are unknown in Vaikuntha. I'm going to show the, the earth things that are unknown in Vaikuntha. This is extraordinary. So, it's Paramatma says, I don't even know about that stuff. This is like beyond me. Go there. Take shelter of the Guru Parampara. And then put the Guru in your heart then. Put the Guru in your heart. And then, and the Guru gives you Krishna. Krishna comes in the heart. It means he loves Krishna. He loves someone in there. They're in your heart. This is the idea. Yes? So, all the Nitya Siddhas are they just, are they Shakti and all of the Sanya Siddhas can you Shakti? Oh, um, for the most part. Keep it simple. Hmm. <laughs> for the most part. All the Sadhana Siddhas, they are constituted of this shakti but they become completely influenced by Sarup Shakti. So they're they're no longer their position is no longer marginal at that point. Therefore Yadgatvana Nivartanteta Dhamma Paramama, there's no leaving there. There's no possibility of leaving there. Even if you wanted to, Krishna wouldn't agree. There's no possibility. So they're functioning like Sarup Shakti. They made a choice. And they made the right choice. So there's no. When you make the right choice, then you don't question it, and then make the wrong choice later on. Maybe I made the, because you know, because you set fully satisfied. I made the right choice, and you're fully satisfied. Your full potential is realized. So choice is here. The choice is here, and bhakti is always here, giving the opportunity through Guru Parampara. And the world's always here. So forever you've had the choice. Make the right choice. That means to become a, a sadhaka. Sometimes explain that some some souls coming from Mahavishnu they go there, some go here. 
So that gives room to think that some some nityasiddhas are titasta shakti, but they really have no opportunity to function in that regard and make it make a choice. Therefore, they've never been tested. So sadhana siddhas, we know they are devotees. They've been tested. So the Mahavishnu also is actually one aspect of Krishna, which is yeah. another way of enjoying, like Krishna manifests himself as Mahavishnu, is another way of enjoying his like, divine self. Yeah, I mean, there is the world. There, there is, you know, you just can't get away from certain things. There, these things exist. How they exist, not why they exist, is the question, right? So, what the world, what what the world is, is is like, um, like karma, for example, is justice. So, if you want mercy, there has to be justice, because mercy means overriding justice. So, Mahavishnu is that aspect of the Lord that has some indirect relationship with Maya Shakti. Just like it said in the Bible, if you look at a girl with lust, then you've gone there. So, Vishnu doesn't go there, but he looks at Maya. And that look, all the jeeves go there. And that's a problem, just like if you look at a girl and it becomes a problem. <laughs> so, his, his leela is kind of like problem-solving. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's, he manifests the jeevas out of joy, and now he gets to be the savior. Maya Shakti is also already there. Maya Shakti is there. Yeah, it can never not be. It's always there. The material world is always there. It comes and goes, but at the beginning of that coming and going doesn't exist. It's compared to his breathing, so... It's like Yoga Nidra is Yeah, right. And when we talk about this Jiva Shakti being defective, does the word like... How can anything emanating from Krishna be Well, what we mean is that it's in comparison to Sarup Shakti, you know, we, we can say it's less complex, or like people don't like it's the lower forms of life, so you say less complex forms of life. How's that? Right. So it's, 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 it's partial. So on its own, therefore, it's, 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 it's like a, you know, an orphan or something. It's got a, it's, 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 its full potential can't be realized. But then Jiva Shakti has some way can go in land and water the other side. Otherwise, you are only in one side. So Jiva has some unique position. That it could yeah. Move here and there. Yeah, it, it has some unique position. <laughs> but the Paramatma is enough room to ro- rope to hang itself, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so Balram is actually different from rather running. Like I mean, the side of Balram very manifest. Um, yeah, but yeah, Ram is different. Ram has Shakti, so Shrup Shakti also coming from him, as Shrup Shakti is coming from from Krishna. Radharani is Shrup Shakti coming from Krishna. And then uh, Balram is also coming from Krishna. Yeah, yeah, he's coming from Krishna. So Krishna manifests like as Radharani, Swarup Shakti, presiding over all the Shakti. Then he manifests as Balaram. Now this, that Swarup Shakti will come out in different, to a lesser extent, or to a, you know, what do you want to say? Let's all use lesser, objectively speaking, but subjectively speaking, it's best for who's ever in Vatsalya or Sakya and so forth. So Balaram's in charge of that. So just like Krishna manifests Swarup Shakti in the form of Radha to preside over 
conjugal love. So then he expands himself with Balaram and manifests Rupa Shakti for other rasas. Hmm? That's not unconnected to him, to her, in a sense. It's a complex theology, no doubt. When yeah. you say about four-handed Vishnu as Paramatma, so so exactly like he's in a four-handed form, or like because in the Bhagavatam when some people address the prayer to Lord Shiva, he's addressed as like somewhere like the demigods when they go to him uh, for the uh, drinking poison, they glorify him as. The, the, you know the Brahman or something like that. And the Purpur Prabhupada says the Vishnu doesn't know to need to know the Brahman. And Maheshwar is like Parmatma, something like that. I, I don't remember the exact words, but so what it refers to is that he can also be counted as Parmatma as Sadashiv or something like that. I mean, is it exactly a four-armed form in Parmatma? It is like that, or like you say, he's present everywhere. So. It's according to the desire of the person who is... Uh, Not entirely clear about your question, yeah. um, but... No, he, he's everywhere, that's true. Vishnu means everywhere. It means all-pervasive. Also. Yeah, Narayan has four-handed form. I mean, to, to have a form in the first place and be everywhere, you know, is a real trick. <laughs> <laughs> To have a form, be everywhere, and to be everywhere and move from place to place. But this is a chintishakti, this is the whole idea. So that means one, he's one and different. So, forth. so he has a form for him, yeah. Mahavishnu, Sadashiv, she was very complex, tattva. But, um, yeah, the Sadashiva is often equated with Mahavishnu. Well, that's a little different. Yes? So, so Shakti that you mentioned it sounds um, like a platform, spiritual platform, which um, brings one to a different level of existence, reality, infinitely. Uh, I think, I mean, am I correct, it's infinite um, new existence that stems or develops from that? Um, Mm-hmm. The rules that we understand exist um, in Paramahatma. Um, are they the same? So we can you just speak some more about what that experience is like? Um, well, um, not entirely clear on your question, but if you you have Brahman, you have Paramatma, you have Bhagwan. So in Bhagwan, what you have is the Shakti is fully manifest and, and dominating. And, to, to the, and the, the form of the Lord is manifesting and corresponding with that. And Ananda is prominent there. There's also Sat and Chit. And in Paramatma there's also Ananda. It's not like without any Shakti. Tathasta Shakti is coming from him. Maya Shakti and so forth. And he's not outside of Swarup Shakti. But the Ananda is not as prominent there. After all, I mean, the Leela... Lilananda of, of Krishna is one thing, and sleeping of Paramatma, as I said, is another. Same thing in Vaikuntha. It's, it's you know, it's, it's not the same. It's, it's the sports of like, of Golok. They don't even know about it. Like, so then you go, then you go to Paramatma, or then Brahman. And then there's also bliss in Brahman. 
And there's also existence and, and knowing, but the knowing is diminished, existence is prominent, and bliss is less prominent. And so when we say Bhagavan is Bhagavan, where the Shakti is fully prominent. We could say Brahman is like Krishna without Shakti. It's so, its influence is, is so sparse, something like that. These three features of the Absolute, what they, what they are about is, is the idea is something like this. You can exist, but you don't have to be cognizant of your existence. But if you're cognizant, you have to exist. Right? Now, you could be cognizant and exist, but your existence doesn't necessarily have to be blissful. Right? But if you're blissful, you have to exist and you have to be cognizant of it. You see? So, Bhagavan is Krishna. He's Ananda. And so, he exists and he's cognizant. Means he, and then he has a feature of himself that per, that's predominated by cognizance and existence. Paramatma and Brahman. Like this. So, Bhagavan's the full idea. And then these aspects, these of, of divinity are appreciated by different types of approaches. If we approach by jnana, we can know Brahman. If we approach by yoga, we can know Paramatma. You can merge in Brahman, you can merge in Paramatma. You approach by bhakti, you enter the Leela. What hmm? does merging in Paramatma mean? It means that you... you the, no. No, not Shantaras. No. It's deplorable from the Vaishnava point of view. More deplorable than, than Brahma Sayuja is Paramatma Sayuja because a greater sense of the personhood of Godhead is manifest but no serving. So it's not Shantarasa? Not Shantarasa. Rasa means Vaikuntha. But hmm? like in the example Bhakti. Of it's Bhakti Rasa. Yeah. How can you get Bhakti Rasa in Yoga? Like bhakti Rasa in, in Gyan. If you have a little Bhakti but not Bhakti Rasa in Gyan, a little Bhakti in Yoga, then you can get the desired goals of Gyan and Yoga. But you're not going to get Bhakti Rasa unless you do Bhakti, Shuddha Bhakti. Like Dhru Maharaj is doing like a sort of Ashtang Yoga practice and he realizes Vishnu inside his heart and then he gets Bhakti. Yeah, but his, his practice is mixed, mixed with Bhakti. He got initiated by Narada. He's chanting, Monamo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. It's not. He has mixed bhakti. If they get pure bhakti, in other words, if your bhakti is mixed with yoga, it's one thing. If your yoga is mixed with bhakti, that's another thing. Sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is directing them to mix yoga with bhakti. But sixth chapter of the Gita is talking about. It's talking about how after karma sannyas one can do dhyan. It's talking about a gradation. It ends speaking about bhakti, of course. The eighth chapter talks about bhakti mixed with yoga. One thing, as I said, is bhakti mixed with yoga. Another thing is yoga mixed with bhakti. You have a certain ideal in the yoga mark. You mix it with bhakti, you can get the ideal. You have a different ideal in bhakti mark. If you mix it with yoga, then it's mixed, but you, you can come out of the mixture. And, and In other words, people add yoga to their life because they think that will help them. Actually, bhakti alone will help. They do asana and, and, and 
jnana and, and so forth. They try to control the mind and senses. And Pradeep, yeah, Bhakti, what is it called? Prem Pradeep, he outlines this kind of thing. So, Bhakti mixed with yoga, that's, that can turn into Shantarasa. Yoga mixed with Bhakti, that won't. Then when the Bhakti becomes Shuddha, then there's Rasa. There's the, what, what the question of Rasa? It's not Shuddha Bhakti. That's the full face of Bhakti. Bhakti Rasa. Yes. I have two questions about the Kamala discussion. Uh, so first of all, um, we know Krishna is absorbed in his Lila and Bolo. Yeah. So Paramatma listens to the prayers of the Siddhas. Yeah. You know, people feel like they have, uh, if he says this way, if he feels like he's always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, um, your prayers are for Krishna, not for the Paramatma. So he passes them on. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that that Krishna can hear your prayers. He has that power. He is omniscient, also. The Paramatma is a manifestation of his omniscience. Krishna is not the manifestation of his omniscience. That's the manifestation of his madurja, his sweetness, his forgetfulness. Krishna represents God's forgetfulness of himself. And Paramatma represents God's all-knowing of everything. But although Krishna represents his forgetfulness of himself, it's not that he is not all-knowing, because the Paramatma is only a partial manifestation of himself. So that all-knowing is also in Krishna. So... Krishna can hear the prayers of his devotees. That's the theory, even though he's absorbed in love of, of Radha and Krishna. But the question does arise, what kind of prayers and how sincere they have to be that you're going to arouse him from that and get his attention. And it, it can be reasoned that to the extent that separate interest is coming out of the heart and so forth, then the prayers are going directly and he's hearing. I mean, you'll be disappointed, and that's why you're bringing it up. And Vishwana Chakravarti Thakur makes this point in his book, Raghavartma Chandrika. If you say, well, Krishna's absorbed in his leela, so how can he hear our prayers? And someone says, well, the Paramatma will hear. Then, if you don't become disappointed, then then you can go to Vaikuntha, you know. Then you're in the wrong sampradaya. You should become disappointed. What? I'm praying to Krishna, and only the Paramatma will hear. What's that? So Vishwanath says, no, no, he does come. Yes. He is omniscient, although he's predominated by madhurya and forgetfulness. His omniscience isn't gone. It's there, hanging by a thread. <laughs> so he has the power to hear the prayers. But the question can arise, what kind of prayers will get his attention? So I just bring up this point to encourage you to make your sadhana very sincere. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur gives an answer to the question also. When he says in his prayer, Sharanagati, he says that Prajendanandan Krishna hears the prayers of a Sharanagata. So, therefore we should focus on Sharanagati. Sharanagati is in place in the stage of Ruchi. So we know Krishna will hear them then. Up to then, well, my solution is 
You pray at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is Vishwambar, he is the Paramatma, the Lord of the world, and he's Brajendanandan Krishna. In terms of Yuga Dharma, he's representing Vishnu. In terms of Radha Bhav and all the Vipralambasa, he's Brajendanandan Krishna in the mood of Radha. So he's both. You've got both in him. He's the deity. So you, you conduct yourself with appropriate prayers. You pray to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and thereby to Radha Krishna. Let me become surrendered soul. And then it will help you in terms of the Yuga Dharma. Your heart will become purified. Then some longing will come. Like that. You had another question? You said you had two. Yeah, so, um, he mentioned a little bit about where she got. I was wondering, so, like, uh, how does she You could, yeah. Or the other way around, too. You could see your own or you could see theirs. Depends on the, your state of consciousness. So what about people that are devotees of other sides? Like we say, Paramount is everywhere, but... Yeah, then in terms of that vision, then you see that one in everybody's heart. You see where they're at, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. It means just like you, when you look at people, you see what you see their heart, you see where they're at. It means you see their desires, and you go, oh, "That's where he's at. That's where he is." So you see like that. But if you go in deeply absorbed in bhav, then you may see everyone is servant of my Lord, and you only see him anyway. You can't see anybody else. So <laughs> who else is there to see? Then you see, oh, he la, he loves Shiva, and Shiva is this, and and and, and, and it's all coming from Krishna. And, Everyone's a devotee of Krishna and Vaishnavana Mita Shambhu and uh, like that. <laughs> That's the idea. What else? Kumpamna, no questions. I'm just tired. Horse Pandita Samadarshana means that he sees everywhere like that, right? Yeah. That's coming in the sixth chapter. The yogi. Yeah. So he sees super small or he sees Paramatma everywhere. He sees it or he just feels it. This is not what we see with. Yeah. This. yeah. These eyes are not for seeing. They're getting in the way of seeing. Yeah. So. Actually sees. Hmm? He actually sees. Yeah. 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 He sees. What else? I was just thinking about um, your answering Garongi's question. Can we also say because? You know, it's said that the, the guru is the external manifestation of the super soul. So, yeah. in that sense, the, the guru may pass on our prayers or our... Yeah, think like that. That's why we, we offer everything to guru. We take guru's permission that the offering will, that we can serve Krishna. So, like that. All worship has involved the honoring the guru. Otherwise, Krishna won't accept it. And as you know, Krishna may be absorbed in and forgetfulness and not able to hear. But as the guru, he's there. He's there in that form. He's listening to you. Right. He's right there. So do guru bhakti, and that's pleasing to Krishna. Very pleasing to Krishna. More pleasing than Krishna bhakti, which includes guru bhakti, is guru bhakti, which includes Krishna. That pleases him more. Yeah, go ahead. 
So you've been talking a lot, just a bit about bridging the gap between the object of worship and the worshiper. Yeah. But it seems that as with the um, worship of Guru, it seems there's a, at least in our you know, lineage, it just seems there's still that, how do you bridge the gap between that Guru worship? It seems there's still a lot of uh, there's always that reverence and awe. Mm-hmm. No, it's bridged because as you advance, I mentioned it earlier, you're going to see the Guru in a different light. You're going to see the Guru in terms of a particular bhava and so forth. And then you're going to become one with that bhava also. Then you're going to be in his group in Goloka. Like Subal has thousands and millions of cowherds who are all his assistants, and all through him they all taste the same bhav that he tastes, or Radharani has so many handmaidens. So becoming a handmaiden of Radha means that you taste the same thing that Radha tastes in relation to Krishna. And a guru, if a guru is representing Radha, then you're in her group, in a subgroup, and uh, like that. So you become one with that love. Does that help? But this takes time. So. There is going to be distance. That's the whole point. You have to clean the heart first. <laughs> so we should have regard, pay attention. Gradually, it, will be, it becomes yeah, uh, it's a little different in, in, in Golok. Then um, there's anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so you were speaking about the generosity of bhakti, and also yesterday when Atmananda asked you know, how the body and the senses seem to be an impediment. You said you're not an impediment and bhakti is user-friendly. And um, you make it sound like like it's all so kind of easy and that, that it's not like you kind of shun a little bit. It seems like any, like how austerity and penance, it doesn't at all win the favor of bhakti, you know, which... Um, I can understand, but it seems to me that it sounds a little too easy, like I don't have to do anything, it's just... You have to do bhakti, you have to do the hardest thing. (laughs) It's what's harder, to control your mind or your senses or to exercise your heart. When your heart is atrophied due to uncontrolled mind and senses, identifying with matter, now your task is to exercise your heart, and it's like frozen. So it sounds easy, but it's not. That's the idea. But you're right. I mean, think about it. Liberation. What does speak about? Liberation is not is not interested in penance. Liberation, Mukti Devi. She's not interested in austerity. She's placed herself at the feet of Bhakti Devi. Because she sees the Vaishnavas are not interested in penance and austerities and all these things. She wants their service. Mukti cannot exist independently of bhakti. She's at the feet of bhakti. So she has no interest in penance and austerity. So if you do penance and austerity, you won't get mukti. If you do a little bhakti, means she's at the feet, means you do a little bhakti, then you can get these things. So, but to speak of bhakti being interested in them, I mean, they all come along with it, because if you give your heart to, in, in, in bhakti, then... Naturally, your, your mind becomes controlled, your senses can become controlled. So I'm just trying to speak to give the proper emphasis. We should have faith in bhakti because we tend 
you know, we were running, our material life is running on the track of bog or tyag. So even bhakti comes to us, we're going we're gonna to gravitate towards, you know, some tyag or some, usually tyag or sometimes some bog, but you get these brahmacharis, they're all making these systems, you know, I'm going to sleep this many minutes at this time, I'm fast like this, and, you know, and control my senses and so forth, and rather than spending time chanting. I mean, it's not bad, but you want the proper emphasis on bhakti, descending, and the power, and the helplessness. When we do austerities and penance, there's a tendency to think, get strength from that, and build an entire, you know, the whole idea is you, you kind of develop a spiritual ego of dependence and service and so forth. So these practices are, are contrary to that. They're not helpful in and of themselves. Maybe a little helpful in the beginning, you know, some scope for that, but not much, Dr. Rizamritasindu says. So we want to emphasize like this so people don't get distracted and, and, and then they become... And what happens then? Especially with regard to renunciation, they, beca- they can become mean. People can become mean by renunciation. Angry, uptight. You seen any devotees like that? Well, now you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, isn't that like the example of the Ramachari? I mean, like he's doing that for the purpose so that he could chant in a concentrated. Yeah, but way. people can lose sight too of yeah. it. But you know, like it seems, I don't know, like, um, like I have a personal experience that chanting early in the morning for me. I chant much better quality rounds, but that seems being hard-hearted and, you know... Why is that hard-hearted? I don't know, because it's not... We're told the morning is the most conducive time for spiritual practice. Flow and like, um, you know, and don't like... Sometimes it's austerity to get up early. You know, sometimes that's austerity and... um, Yeah, austerity, the point is, austerity comes with bhakti. But not, we should not pursue austerity independently of bhakti. In other words, if it's favorable for bhakti to undergo some austerity, we're ready to do that. But, so I'll give you an example. It's favorable for bhakti to fast on ekadasi. That's why we fast on ekadasi. Is it favorable for bhakti to fast on other days? Where do we read that? Anywhere in the scripture. Prabhupada, I was listening to the tape, he, said he was meeting one man and, and Prabhupada was talking to the man, he, he said uh, something about, he'd been fasting for three days or something like that. Prabhupada said, what for? And we all this reason and that, you know, he control my senses and, and, and Prabhupada said, you know, if we fast on a cause, he'd go to the favor of Krishna or Janmastami because scripture says like this. So that, that means that, that this, the austerity is tied to bhakti, not independent of bhakti. So we chart out this whole independent, you know, this whole independent course of austerities and so forth. We can lose sight of the, what what the main idea is, the, the power of bhakti to control our senses. I mean, you have to chant, you have to whatever, you know, you do the your puja, your you know, the temple, and here and and so forth. Put emphasis on that. Emphasis on that. Why do you think Uddhava says in Bhagavatam? And we will conquer over the world simply by wearing the remnants of Krishna's clothes. He's like this, he's saying, to the tapasvis and jnanis and yogis, this is our path. We simply take the prasad of the deity and we'll conquer over the senses. 
And, you know, these statements have to be made to emphasize the point so that we don't gravitate towards bog or tiag, these extremes, and make bhakti part of that rather than that part of bhakti. So it's favorable to get up in the morning during the time of Brahma Muhurta and chant. So therefore you should do that. And there's going to be some austerity involved in that. So make this, like, bhakti the central focus. It's not a, I'm not make giving a reason, excuse or a license to just be lax and just do whatever, follow the flow, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, people ask a particular question like that fellow did. I answered in a particular way. I could see he had inordinate emphasis. It was like hanging him up. He's a yoga teacher, too. Yeah, there you go. He's saying the body's an impediment to getting close to God. <laughs> You can turn the whole thing around. The human body, durlaba manaba janama. Satsanga. You got a human body, it's rare. You got satsanga with it, man, you got a good thing going. What's bad about that? You're looking at it in the wrong way. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be austerities and you have to make an effort to control your mind and your senses and so forth. But how to do that? Let bhakti do her work. Yeah. Well, I... His example was, um, like, let's say it's morning time and, um, you know, I chanted half of my rounds and I'm feeling really hungry. Now, I could just, like, sit it out and, you know, if I just am hungry for another hour, that's not a big thing. But if instead I say, well, I'm hungry, so I should eat now. Everyone else is eating now. Besides, you know, then then you have half your rounds left, you know, and you you feel the quality. Um, You've lost that. Well, you have to tell your own temperature. Right. You know, you make your decision. You're not going to eat. But if you you decide I'm not going to eat, but then all you can think about while you're chanting is how hungry you are, then you made a mistake. Hmm? Yeah. yeah. Um, then you, you might know, as well take um, prashad. That's bhakti also. <laughs> <laughs> um, yesterday you spoke about um, the blossoming. You know, like just those those feelings of enthusiasm. Oh, Friday night enthusiasm, and you know, feeling like we're getting someplace. Now, um, that could also give rise to pride, couldn't it? Like where you think, wow, I'm more Krishna conscious, at least for this day. <laughs> but, you know, so how to avoid that feeling? Like, because like being grateful that you have that. Because when you make progress, you the experience is that it was a blessing, that it was mercy, that it wasn't your effort. You got suddenly a glimpse, and wow, it's just, that's how you feel. Real progress, false progress is another thing. But don't overanalyze. That won't help you. That won't help you. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. I can make a comment that it seems that we do get that mercy. We do get that. It's kind of like the example of the yogis when they became problem and Krishna leaves. So we have that experience enough times where we get some mercy and then we start to think, oh, I'm doing hmm. something and then Krishna takes it away and it's gone and then so you're back to so after that happens a few hundred times <laughs> you're to learn, huh? to kind of learn. Yeah. Go ahead. how to be humble and discriminating at the same time without committing offense it's a very hard balance to find like uh-huh. discriminate between devotees and distinguish and still remain like Trinandapi, the third verse, which was offering respects to everybody without expecting it. And then similarly you have to discriminate also. It's like a very hard task. Well, the two go together. Humility and discrimination 
go together. From Mahaprabhu's third verse speaks about humility, and it speaks about kirtaniya sadahri. That means fixed. That means discrimination. That means nishta. So, one thing is that proper discrimination involves constructive criticism, right? Proper discrimination involves constructive criticism. Constructive criticism is not offensive. So, you have to see a thing for what it is. You're even going to just preoccupied about it, just talk about it, just to, to feel better yourself. Criticism that is made, and you feel it if you're doing it, to make yourself feel better about yourself is not constructive, even if it's accurate. It's the influence of Rajagun. You criticize, and then you, you know you, you feel better. We're not like that. We're you, know, you get you start to get in that bob, that that's kind of a, that's kind of pride, you know, like yeah, I'm, I'm good. Then criticism in the, in the, in the mode of ignorance is just criticism for the sake of criticism. There's no fault, and he, he's finding a fault. In the influence of Rajagun, you may you may find a real fault, but that's that's what you're you're harping on that. That's what you're just like. You get done talking with one person, you want to talk to the next person about the same thing, and and, and that, and you and you make somehow you're you're deluding yourself to feel that you're better because you're not like that, but because you're preoccupied with it, you are going to imbibe that. Actually, it's going to come into you. If you're preoccupied with other people's faults, they're going to they may come into your into your consciousness. Satvagunas then is this constructive criticism. You got to say, well, this is wrong. This is bad. They're doing like this. Let's analyze it. We may have to think about it dissected and so forth and you may be frustrated with the people hmm? you may not want to associate with them and you just go you know what can be done here I mean it's just yeah. but you know you feel bad for them at the same time and so you, you, you would like to help them but you can't in some instances and so so this satvagun or this uh, uh, this confidence nishta proper discrimination of, of a, of a mandi madhikari it's constructive criticism for benefit, for good. And that has to be, that's going to always come up in a preaching context. If you're not living in a preaching context, then that's not really much of an issue. Of course, you learn from people when you meet people and, and you see what not to do. And so even within yourself, you've got to make discrimination. Oh, I won't go there, I won't go here. And when you're making these discriminations not to go there, then what you're doing is you're creating a certain distance between yourself and that person, enough that you can respect them at a distance. Like I've said before, if you get far enough away from somebody that you don't like, then you can find something. When they're in your face, then you, you know. And then sometimes you know you, you forget about how bad they are, and you get back, and then you go, "Oh Jesus, I got to create a distance again." That guy's just you know too much. So discrimination involves showing respect. You understand? Because it also involves creating a distance between yourself and those whose actions cannot help you but can hinder you. By creating that distance, you're finding room to respect them at a distance because the things about them that aren't useful for you are not in the view anymore. And then you, you know, if, if, they, if you think about them, and well, you know, something good about them. He's doing bhakti. It's not an issue for me. Does that help? And so that proper discrimination, that breeds confidence, and confidence is not pride. In Mahaprabhu's verse, it goes with humility. So to be humble, humble means, you have to, it doesn't mean that, it's not an abstract humility, it's humble before Guru and God, humble before the teaching. So you have to stand up for the teaching, 
And that may look like pride, but it's humble because you're chased to the teaching. You're a servant there. You're bowed down before that. I'm bowed to the Siddhanta. Therefore, Bhakti Siddhanta, his pranam, one of his pranam mantras was Virudhapa Siddhanta Danta Harine. That Siddhanta that was contrary to Rupa Goswami, he became angry at because he's a servant of that. So servant means humble. I'm bowed down before that. But the cause comes and I have to defend it. I will defend it. So that, that confidence and that kind of discrimination is not separate from humility. When you think of humility in an abstract way or a, a false way, the way Bhakti Siddhanta Sastri Thakur defined humility is absence of the enjoying spirit. Because when you see a thing as, see yourself as an enjoyer of a thing, well, you're superior to it. That will foster pride. That's the whole of material existence. So when you see yourself as a servant of Bhagwan, and you see everything as the energy of him, and then you're servant of the servant of the servant. Enjoying spirit's gone, so you're humble. But with the enjoying spirit's gone, the serving spirit is there. And who are you serving? And if his cause is questioned, then you're going to stand up for that. Or misrepresented. You're going to become aware of that, and you're going to discriminate. Say, I'm not going to go over there. And if you're teaching people, you have to teach. So constructive criticism, we all have to have, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like a, it's a, it's a sorry kind of task. You have to do it. It's, it's a shame people are like that. We have to point it out, what, what can be done. So that verse in the Nectar instruction where it says that the devotee is free from the propensity to criticize others is basically that criticism which is motivated by Rajogodam. Well, in one sense, he's talking about Uttamadikari. Oh, that's the heart. That's why you can be humble like the plate of trust. You just seclude yourself. Uttamadikari has no discrimination. Oh, that's a problem. Kanishta has no discrimination. It's a problem for a Kanishta but it's not a problem for an Uttamadikari. Madhyama, preacher, has to discriminate. You have to discriminate to preach. You have to decide, this is right, this is wrong. He's interested, she's not. I'll spend my time with him. Uttamadikari cannot preach that How can he preach? Everything's fine. No problem. <laughs> Nothing to preach. Hmm? So, so the preach you, you have to discriminate me. So you have to come to the Madhyam platform to preach. Uttamadikari can't discriminate. So, so he can't find any fault in anyone. There's no fault to be found. If any only place one place he finds a fault in himself. <laughs> and Kanishtadikari just the opposite. I'm a big devotee. Everyone's doing it wrong. Everyone's doing it wrong. There's the opposite ends of the spectrum. So, we try not to criticize, which means... Another thing is that constructive criticism isn't, in a way, is not criticism. When a verse says they have no propensity to criticize. Constructive criticism means finding the good, sorting the good out, right? That's what, it, that's what you're doing indirectly, but you're pointing out what's good by pointing out what not to do, how not to be. You're pointing out how one should be. So it's a kind of not discriminating, in a sense, that the preacher can be involved in. So that we should see, cultivate. Yes? Uh, when Sridhar Maharaj is talking about um, waiting for Krishna to elevate us to, you know, to the next 
accepting the relationship or whatever does that also mean in, in respect to seeing oneself as far as like rasa um, or or is it something else? Because for example, it, it seems to me that most of the devotees, they kind of start from the Shantaras, and Dasya is something very, very elevated, because you, you kind of lose the, the interest in yourself, you just see yourself as a servant. And um, it's actually, to me, at least it seems like a tremendously high thing. And um, one of the things that that kind of struck me um, when, when reading Shri Maharaj's lecture was that you know, he tells us to wait until Krishna kind of forcibly elevates us to the next level. I'm not sure what passage Ms. Talks you're speaking of, but it sounds to me like an emphasis on the idea that you cannot force your way there, but the going there is grace. It comes from up to down. You can't force your way. Not that you shouldn't exercise any will and then make any effort, but you can you can do all the effort you want if he doesn't show his grace for whatever reason, then you're not going anywhere. I mean, he does. And why, you don't know. It's because you made an effort or you make no effort, he might show his grace too. Uh, we shouldn't live our life like that. But I think that perhaps Sridhar uh, Mars is making an emphasis with a statement like that on this, that on his time, you know, we can go. Not that it's not a, we're not on our it's not on our clock. We're not putting him on our clock. We're on his clock. So the progress goes as it's grace, so it comes from up to down. We posture ourselves in this side in on this side in such a way as to attract sympathy, grace, and then we go up. So that's doing something, but it's not a, you know, charging, charging in there. We're just posturing ourselves so that we, like a young girl, decorates herself so that the boy will notice her. So bhakti's like that, so the Krishna will notice us, take us seriously, then we we go up. And I know that doesn't, that's not the way you were thinking about it entirely, <laughs> and I wasn't clear exactly what, how you were, tying in the dasirasa and shantarasa, but. I don't really have a whole lot of attraction to most of the Levites. It just seems so distant. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, in my particular case, it's just I just feel that it's just too way up there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just in the trenches, uh, you know, fighting the war with Maya, and, you know, trying to inspire some people to take up Krishna consciousness and, and um, you know occasionally you know you run across some passage that, that seems to kind of resonate you know inside but for the most part it, it, it seems fairly distant to me and uh, my question is basically I, I was always assuming for many years that I should just wait you know, and, uh, if, if the interest comes you know, yeah it will come. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to go inordinately worry, oh, I don't have an interest, I better go read some book and get an interest over here like these other people. You don't even know if their interest is real half the time either. Or it may be, or... I'm afraid that my interest might be not real. I don't care about their interest. I'm, just, you know, I'm afraid that if, if 
if I try to put myself into that position where yeah, you don't do that. I'm just staring up some interest that is not even real. Right. Yeah, no, you apply yourself on the level that you're interested in here, here from advanced devotees, and and uh, gradually your vision and will become more refined by grace of bhakti, guru. So don't try to force anything. Don't worry, it's not about, you know, uh-oh, there's some problem. I'm not interested in being a gopi. Well, what? I better get interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's late now. <laughs>